Hi everyone, Ed Young here from Fellowship. Hope you're having a happy Sunday and it's such a privilege for us to come right into your home. You know, Fellowship Church right now is one church in many different households. Thank you for logging on, whether you're on YouTube Live, Facebook Live, or Fellowship Live. We've had a massive response with so many people watching and experiencing in an intimate way Fellowship Church. But very, very soon, because I'm getting antsy and I'm sure you are as well. Very, very shortly, we're gonna come together, gather together in all of our different locations. There's nothing like the gathering together of believers. And this has been a lesson in my life, being apart, being separate from you, from the church physically. It, 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 it's given me a greater desire, a yearning to get together when we have the green light and when we can open the doors of the church physically. So as great as being online is, nothing beats, wouldn't you agree? Nothing beats being here at church. Today, I, th I thought about talking about something that we're all dealing with. It's an emotion that's everywhere. And this emotion is an emotion that you deal with and are dealing with and I'm dealing with right now. And this emotion is, is pretty foundational to life. Every day, I deal with this particular situation. Especially doing what I do, I process it a lot. Sometimes people ask me, Ed, what do you do during the week? Or do you get nervous, as you've heard me say before, before you speak, because you speak all the time, and they always expect me to say, no, I don't get nervous. Everything's cool. I'm just, you know, walking up here and, you know, I know the Bible pretty well, so I just kind of roll with it. Nothing could be further from the truth. I don't just roll with it. Every week, I have to pretty much write, research, memorize, and articulate a term paper. I know that I can't put it off. I can't file for a continuance, I can't table something, I can't say, well, I don't really feel like it this Sunday, I'm not gonna speak. I know I've gotta put in between 15 to 25 hours a week just in sermon preparation to deliver a message. It's gotta be biblical, obviously. It's got to be relevant, it's got to have some humor in it, it's gotta keep people's attention. It's literally a word from God. I'm called, I'm tasked with being a pastor, teaching and preaching the message of Jesus Christ, his death, burial, and resurrection. I've often thought about what I do, and I've often thought about my motivation. To be frank with you, the main motivation that I deal with each and every day, each and every Sunday is Fear, that's right, fear. That's what I deal with, fear. Let me say it again, fear drives me to do what I do. I'm not talking about like the fear of ah, a snake or the fear ah, of a spider or the fear of something else, I, 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 I'm talking about the fear of God. 
As you look at our society today, just, just see our society for a second. Just zoom out. One of the issues that we don't really talk about very much, one of the reasons that we're so sick that we have this, this virus of sin and rebellion is because of a lack of the fear of God. I mean, what's wrong with our educational system, our universities? The fear of God. As you look at our government, it's the fear of God. Look at social media and the masters of the universe that run these big platforms. It's the lack of the respect and the awe of our great God. Why are families falling apart? Why is the divorce rate, even in Christian homes, like 50%? We've lost the fear of God. We've lost the fear of God. Why the language? Why the immorality? Why so many people logging on porn sites? We've lost the fear of God. Why selfishness? We've lost the fear of God. Why do churches all over our land have to work and even bribe people just to show up and to volunteer? We've lost the fear of God. We've had this typical swing. The pendulum has moved from the fear of God, from the holiness of God to, hey, God is my friend. He's, he's, just, he's just one of my boys or one of my girls. And I can live like hell. I can do whatever I want to do. And God loves me. And God is about grace. And God's about mercy. So it's love and grace and mercy and mercy, love and grace and grace and love and mercy and mercy and love and grace and grace and mercy and mercy and mercy. That's true. Yes. But also, when we talk about that, we got to talk about fear, wrath, judgment, judgment, wrath, fear, fear, wrath, judgment, judgment, wrath, fear, fear, wrath, judgment, judgment, wrath, fear. I'll bet you cash money that most people reside here as opposed to here. Love is not the number one emotion from God. It's not the number one characteristic of God. It's holiness. So as I see myself as a sinner in the brilliant blaze of God's holiness, I should have fear. If you don't have the fear of God in your life, you're God. You have the whole thing inverted. If you're God of your life, you have everything to fear. I, seriously, I mean, I'm telling you, I would fear everything. If I'm running the show, I have everything to fear. Conversely, if God is the God of my life, if Jesus is Lord, I really shouldn't fear anything. It's amazing how we invert that. How many times have we walked into a coffee shop and we've ordered coffee and the person that works there, the barista or whatever goes, you want any room in that coffee? You want some room? If you don't drink coffee, well, you're living in some kind of sin. If you do, though, you know I've just described to you Coffeeology 101. When they say room, they're talking about room for half and half, skim milk, almond milk, coconut milk, whatever, all those pollutants we put in the coffee. Any room, any room, any room? 
The God of the universe is asking you and me the same question when it comes to fear, specifically the fear of God. Any room? Yeah, as you look at your definition of God, as you, as you look at who God is, the glory of God, any room? Any room for the fear of God? Because most of us are saying, no, 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 I don't want any room. I don't want any room. No room, no room, no room. Because we think the fear of God is something that isn't who God is. We think the fear of God is like, oh, it's bad or it's wrong or we shouldn't fear God. He's, he's just a benevolent grandfather. He's the Amazon Prime God. He's the UPS boy or girl. God, he, he just is there to pour blessings on my life. That's what and who God is. Well, that's part of who God is. God is described in the Bible as many things, many different word pictures, many different analogies uh, the, the writers use for us to just get a glimpse of who God is about God's glory. And there's no way we can understand the true glory of God. We're not gonna get it until we get to heaven and it'll take us forever just to understand it. One of the things they call God, one of the illustrations was they called him the Lion of Judah. The Lion of Judah. I've, I've been around some lions before on trips to Africa. One time, my family and I stood right behind this little fence. It wasn't even a big fence. It was tall. It was just a chain link kind of thing in South Africa. And there were like four or five lions. They were dumping carcasses of animals right over our heads on the other side of the chain link fence. We were watching these lions. Lions, they have a presence, an energy that, that I can't even really describe. So majestic, so massive, so beautiful. You could just hear them breathing and, and, and purring and, and even looking at us like, man, that looks like a number one from Chick-fil-A. And I'll have a Diet Coke with that. So it was, it was really, really freaky to be around these lions. I'm gonna be frank with you. They're beautiful, they're majestic. I love to, to watch them and later Lisa and our kids were able to hold some lion cubs and that was a whole nother story, a whole nother trip. But I had a healthy fear and our family, I, I believe, would, would vote on this and say, yeah, we all had a healthy fear of those lions. Tragically, we've declawed the lion of Judah. Sadly, we've declawed God, we've taken the lion and turned him into a house cat. God has to be reverenced. He has to be held in awe. There has to be a healthy fear of God. I understand that some of us grew up in legalistic homes. Maybe you went to a church that was hellfire and brimstone, hellfire and brimstone, but we've 
overreacted. We're like, oh man, I don't want to be legalistic at all. I don't want to ever go to a church that talks about hellfire and brimstone. I don't want to ever go to a church that talks about the fear of God. The Bible talks a lot about the fear of God. God talks a lot about the fear of God. The Bible talks a lot about hell. Jesus talked more about hell than he talked about prayer and love. You've got to talk about it. And in our modernistic, politically correct culture, we've forgotten to talk about the fear of God. The fear of God is one of our main motivators as believers. When I say fear, I'm talking about a 24 seven, 360 degree awareness that I'm doing life in front of a holy, just and almighty God. And that every word, thought and action is open before him. And because so many people don't have the fear of God, I'm talking about Christians, it's like we're, we're playing defense on our heels. We won't even talk about Jesus. We won't even confront someone with the gospel. So we just kind of play soft and we're emasculated and decaffeinated and we go into our little shell and we just want to, to say, oh yeah, God loves everyone and and God forgives everyone, and God is so awesome. That's true. God does love everyone. He does forgive everyone, and that is so awesome. But we have an opportunity to either receive God's love and turn from our sin, we have an opportunity to receive the forgiveness of God as we confess our sins before him. And then we'll understand how awesome he is as we walk and live under the fear of God. We fear this virus. I get it. I have some fear. We've been talking about that. Do you fear God? Oh, man, I'm so worried about people catching this virus. Hey, we've all got a virus. It's called sin. And there's only one cure. But the good news is we have the cure. The cure is a person. He was called the great physician. His name is Jesus. And the vaccination was his precious blood he spilled on Calvary. His death, burial, and resurrection. So the vaccination is the mercy and the grace of God. But... We can't receive it until we come to terms with the fear of God. God, being God, when man sinned, could have just nuked us. He could have wiped us out, and he had every reason to do so, yet he didn't because he's holy and he has this holy love. So he sent Jesus to do what he did on the cross, to rise again, from the tomb, which we'll celebrate in a couple of weeks, thereby giving us an opportunity in our sin, in our shame, in our guilt to turn from that and to turn to God. I can't tell you, and it's hard for me to even describe this, so much of my life I think about the fear of God. I'm not talking about worrying that God is, is like hovering over me with this, with this giant hammer. Oh, 
you were wrong there. Oh, you messed up there. Oh, you thought that thought there. I'm not saying that. I am saying though, the longer I walk with God, the more I'm in awe of who he is, the more I think about opportunities, opportunities gained and opportunities lost. So often the fear of God drives me to pray for people that I know who don't know the Lord Jesus. And when I'm with them, I'm praying and thinking about what they're facing, the choices that they're making, the virus that engulfs them and permeates them, yet they don't even know they have it. They're carriers of it, yet they don't even know it. And I'm talking to them, and I've got the vaccine in my life. Yeah, 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 the fear, the fear of God. And one of the things too that scares me about so many young pastors that I talk to and see and deal with, the fear of God is like non-existent. It's just not there in their sermons and their books and their podcasts. Where is the fear of God? Where? We talk so much about breakthrough, breakthrough, breakthrough. Delivery, delivery, delivery. I was set free and delivered and delivered and set free and breakthrough. And I believe that. It's in the Bible, those moments. But those moments emerge out of a fear of God. If you don't have a fear of God, a reverence of God, an awe of God, the breakthrough or all the blessings or the deliverance ain't gonna happen. Again, God is not some weak, milk toast, buddy or, or frat daddy or like just some, you know, kind of special person or, or someone who's like the man upstairs who's on maybe one or two little levels above us or someone we can just kind of like casually you know, like deal with that. What's up, God? No, no. Sorry, but no cigar. And I like cigars. It's something, as I said, that, that drives me, that encourages me, that motivates me, that stimulates me. Saying a word from God knowing that marriages are hanging from a balance as you're watching this, knowing that people are dealing with substance issues and you're about to go down that rabbit hole for good, knowing people are processing anxiety and fear and knowing that some people have been just living a lie, knowing that others are dealing with levels of loneliness like I can never, ever understand, knowing that a lot of people are facing a Christless eternity, knowing that they're facing a hell. That causes fear in me. That's the fear of God. I, I want to say what God wants me to say, inspired by the Holy Spirit, and I know I've got to spend time in this book 
time listening to God, time and study to say those things. So the fear of God motivates me. And it's a good thing. It's not a bad thing. I grew up in a, in a Christian home, not a perfect home. My father is a very strong personality. During my childhood days, even age years and college years, I never you know, went off the tracks. I never got into to, to craziness. I didn't. And I really think that sometimes the best, well, I really think the best testimonies are not these people that were like, yeah, I was living for hell. And then boom, a bolt of lightning hit me. I became a Christ follower and look at me now. Or, hey, I used to be a porn star and look at me now. Or I used to, I used to rob banks and, 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 and sell drugs and look at me now. Yeah, rah, 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 awesome, that's great. But I believe the best testimonies are the testimonies of people who've become Christians at a young age and have lived the life for a long, long time. Not perfectly, but they've lived the life. And we have a lot of people at fellowship, a lot of young people would say, you know what, Ed, that's me. And for me, that was the way I rolled. I never again went off the reservation. Why? Well, my parents did a great job, dad did a great job. Why? The fear of God. Yeah, dad put the fear of God in me. Also, I had some healthy fear of him as well. I've been married for 37 years and have only had sex with one woman in my entire life. I've said that before and I've had people cheer. I'm like, why are you clapping for that? That's what life is, that's what marriage is. Well, let's say for example, that I decided to have sex with someone else outside of marriage. We call it having an affair. The Bible calls it adultery. Let's just say I did that. Then let's say it was a mess up, foul up, just one time. And I was like, God, forgive me, cleanse me. I had sex outside the marriage bed. Would God forgive me? No doubt about it. Would God cleanse me? No question. But God is not going to remove the consequences. I'm pure and I've been pure in marriage because of God. That's right, because of the fear of God and also because of the fear of Lisa. Also, the fear of totally throwing away this opportunity, this position that God has given me. Let me talk about the fear of God. I cannot imagine having sex outside the marriage bed and dealing with what God would say and feel and think about me. I can't imagine that. And I fear that. I fear that God might just 
take me out. Literally. That's right, the Bible says, and you can read numerous passages, when those of us who are Christ followers continue to turn away from God and miss opportunity after opportunity, sometimes God just takes us out. I fear that. I also fear the calling. God has called me to do what I do, and I fear disregarding that, just kind of turning my back on that. I fear not only God, I fear Lisa. Telling Lisa, looking in her beautiful eyes and saying, Lisa, I was unfaithful to you. I fear that. I fear that. I fear looking into the faces of our four kids, our other family members, all of our grandkids, and saying those words. I, I fear that. I fear God. I fear Lisa. I fear my family. I fear all of the people who've attended fellowship over the 30 years. All of those people. The books I've written, the places I've spoken, the opportunities. I fear that. The overarching fear, quite frankly, is the fear of God. The fear of disappointing and turning my back on God. So who told you that fear is bad? Who told you that you should not fear an awesome and reverence and holy God? Who told you that? That's one of the problems in our world today. That's one of the situations in our world today. You watch all of these interviews and read all of these things online. It shows the graphs and this doctor and that doctor and they're giving these stats and, and, and they're running these scenarios and it's about the death and the death and the carnage and the death and the hospitals and the respirators and when will we go, go, go back to life as normal death and death and death and this person has contracted this virus and that person has contracted the virus. What if we were that concerned about people dying, dying with the virus of sin away from God? What if we were that concerned about people spending eternity in hell? We have that choice. God doesn't hurl anybody to hell. We send ourselves to hell. So many though, that's right, so many of you right now who are a part of this service, you are facing hell because you have a virus called sin and you've never, ever, ever received the vaccine. Because friend, there is a vaccine and his name is Jesus. He came to live on this earth. He lived here for 33 years. He lived a flawless life. He performed perfectly, lived righteously. At the pinnacle, he voluntarily died on a cross for your sins, for my sins, for your, 
immorality and my immorality. Jesus did that. God arranged, it's so amazing, for the sins of the world to be transferred to Christ's shoulders. They took him off the cross, put him in a tomb, and then three days later, he burst forth with resurrection power on the first day of the week, which is Sunday, and that's why we have church on Sunday, and we're going to celebrate Easter in just a few, few weeks. Throughout Christ's ministry, he was called many things. He was called teacher, Lord, master, savior. He was also called the great physician. And Jesus is the antidote. He's the cure. He's the vaccine for this virus that everyone has. Not just a few, not just those who are over 65, not just those who were compromised, not just those in third world countries, not just a few A-listers, no, no, no. Everybody has this sin. God arranged for it to be dealt with. He arranged for healing. On that Roman cross, outside of that hill in Jerusalem, God arranged for the sins of the world, for the wrongdoings of the world, to be placed on Jesus. Jesus died on the cross for your sins and mine. He became the virus. He rose again. He's the cure. All you have to do is do three things. It's just ABC, ABC. Admit that you're a sinner, that you have the virus. And sin is just falling short of God's standards. Number two, believe that Jesus died on the cross for your sins and rose again. And number three, confess that Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior. You simply say, Jesus, I ask you, I invite you to come into my life. Forgive me and cleanse me. Just say that right where you are. Just say, Jesus, I admit to you, A, that I'm a sinner. B, I believe to the best of my ability that you died for my sins and rose again. And three, I confess this. I ask you, Jesus, to come into my life. If you said that with me, that's the greatest thing, the greatest thing that you'll ever do.